This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Yo, what's up, guys? You like our podcast? You want to make your own? You have all the power, all the resources you need to make your own podcast. That's right. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, let me give you a rundown. Basically, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And here's how it works. Anchor lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to the most popular listening platforms, including Spotify with a single tap. Anchor is also the only place you can publish video podcasts to Spotify, which is super important. With Anchor, creators can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. That's right. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That is anchor.fm to get started. It's what we use. We get a little kickback from it and we appreciate it. So if you guys want your own podcast, go to Anchor. .fm to get started. Peace. Hello and welcome to the Anatomy of Marriage podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Studley, and today Seth and I sit down with the oh-so-calming Dr. Brenda Butterfield, who specializes in mindfulness therapy, mindfulness-based stress reduction, meditation, as well as cognitive behavioral, humanistic, and family systems therapy. Dr. Brenda is a delight to the soul, and we can't wait to dive into this week's episode, but before we do, let's read the review of the day. This five-star review reads... The Studleys have a way of helping get to the root of the issue without sounding better than us or judgmental. It's like having a talk with your friends who love you and are hoping that you succeed. Thank you, CGC978, for this amazing five-star review. And please, if you find the podcast helpful but you haven't rated and reviewed it yet, it would mean so much to us if you did. We read our reviews daily because they are a great way to keep a pulse on what people are feeling about the podcast in real time. So please rate the show, leave a review, and let more couples and individuals know about Anatomy of Marriage. Anyway, back to the show. For today's episode, you may want to pour yourself a cup of tea or perhaps go on a long and relaxing walk while you listen because it is about to get real zen up in here. All right. Here is Dr. Brenda Butterfield talking all about stress reduction, mindfulness, self-care, and more. Enjoy. So I'm Dr. Brenda Butterfield, and I have a private practice in Redmond, and the name of my practice is Our New Experience, so it's one. Um, And I've been in practice for a few years now, uh, and I've been in the field for a little over 30 years doing a lot of different things. Um, with communities, with individuals, teaching at a university. And so I feel really um, blessed and honored Mm -hmm. to be able to have private practice now and work alongside clients in a one-on-one counseling capacity as well as teaching mindfulness-based stress reduction, which is something I love to do, Mm -hmm. Um, teaching folks how to meditate in a mindful way. Uh, And then I do a lot of workshops for counselors and therapists and other healthcare providers um, focusing mostly on self-care, whether it's clients and or it's clinicians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I know. So I attended one of your workshops with my mom, mm. and um, I loved one of the things that you said. I thought was so funny was that when you first started meditating, you just thought it was terrible. <laughs> it was <laughs> so hard. <laughs> and I had a similar experience when I even just trying yoga. I was like. <laughs> what is this <laughs> terrible i just felt like i was miserable at it was it. painful I, yeah yeah <laughs> physically and emotionally um, and so i'd like to know like how how did you first hear about meditation how is it something you got interested in and mm. like how did that start Yeah, it was back in when I was teaching at the University of Minnesota in Duluth in 2011. Um, and I'd been having quite a few physical problems for probably three or four years and kept going back to my doctor. And we just couldn't quite figure out what was going on, um, which was really ironic because <laughs> I was moving too fast. I was moving too fast. And so when her, I think, final recommendation was I wasn't exercising enough and I probably should start getting up at 5.30 in the morning to get on the treadmill to run. So I got my exercise in, which I did for about six months and things just got worse. I remember thinking, I've tried so many things now. I wonder about meditation and I'd read a few articles about it and I was really desperate mm -hmm. to find a way to catch my breath, quite literally catch my breath. And um, it wasn't long after that the university offered the first MBSR class to the university community. And I thought, well, I'm going to sign up. Mm -hmm. um, and I did. And I showed up at class with 29 of my colleagues, all of whom were as depleted and exhausted and as desperate as I was to find a way mm -hmm. to experience some peace of mind. Mm -hmm. um, and so I took the class and it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. It was really hard, not necessarily to show up at class because I'm a good student. Yeah. <laughs> so I know how to show up on time. But the challenge was to do the homework, which was about a half hour of meditation practice a day. It's a long time. It was a long time. <laughs> it was. And I started out literally like I shared in the workshop with eyes wide open, yeah. listening to instrumental music, mm -hmm. right? Staring at an orchid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And again and again and again, because my mind was racing too fast. Yeah. I and I remember when I would close one eye and then I could stare at the orchid and I, it, it was, it was really, um, I'm so stubborn, uh, persistent, yeah. which serves me really well in some ways. And it served me really well when it came to meditation, because eventually over time I started to look forward to the quiet mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and the time to just sit. And yeah. I started noticing the most amazing things in the orchid, mm. which kept me there longer and longer. Yeah. And eventually I was able to close my eyes and um, over time now I, I can't listen to anything or even a guided meditation. It really gets in the way. Mm -hmm. it quiet. It, it's too, too stimulating. Yeah. But it really is a, um, a process of developing that attentional muscle mm -hmm. so that one can drop in. Yeah. How long do you think it took you? Like before, oh, what was that time frame? Well, I mean, I started noticing the impact of the sitting um, probably within three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I remember, um, well, by that time, I think I was closing my eyes. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming 
coming out of it and opening my eyes and seeing grass, mm-hmm. looking out the window. And, and we had this beautiful home. And the, I just remember looking out of the window and thinking, oh, my God, what's up with the grass? It's so green. It, it was so green. And I thought I could maybe even smell it from in the house. Uh-huh. It was just such a, an overwhelming um, experience. And I noticed it. Yeah. which was really interesting because I'd never really paid attention mm-hmm. to that before. Mm-hmm. And then a few weeks later, I was walking, like I shared in the workshop, mm-hmm. I was walking with my son, who was three at the time, um, down the driveway to meet my daughter, Gracie, was getting off the bus. And for the first time ever, I felt little Billy's hand mm-hmm. in my hand. And it was so soft and so tender. And I remember looking down at it, and I kind of turned his hand over and looked at it and felt it a little bit more. And I just thought, what a precious little hand and turning and looking at him and just tears welling up in my eyes as I thought, he's three. Where have I been? Uh I walked this path with him so many times to the bus. Mm -hmm. Where have I been? And then it was gone. Then it was this fleeting moment that was gone. But there were a series of of experiences like that mm-hmm. again, and they just started happening more often, mm-hmm. and with more intensity of waking up yeah. in the moment mm-hmm. of life, which really, you know, created a desire to sit more and more. Yeah, because I realized that was the one variable that had changed was mm-hmm. I was sitting. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really beautiful. Actually, in your workshop, for one of the. When you did the guided meditation mm. in your workshop, that was, so I feel like with my meditation and yoga and that kind of stuff, I'm just entering that space where there's almost some sort of transition happening. Mm. And when you did the guided meditation, it was so weird because it was like, I shut my eyes. At first I didn't shut them because I like couldn't, yeah. my brain was rushing. But when I shut my eyes, I began to see like, you know, like the backs of your eyes when sometimes like things change and it looks like a pet and it looked like flowers and then it looked like mm. eyes. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I opened my <laughs> eyes and I'm like, whoa, I'm at a workshop and I was like just on another planet. <laughs> like it was the first time that that has really happened. And I was like, mm. well, that was significant. <laughs> but, um, what were you going to ask? Well, I, I had a, a couple of things, but it sounds like and I don't want to get too meta here, but I guess that that's fine to whatever. It's it's like you sometimes in, in meditation, which I'm not super good at. I'm trying to practice more and more, you know, like, you know, after working out, I stretch and you just have like a quiet time, you know. Yeah. It really like jumps over into like the, the spiritual part, I think. Mm. And we go into something deeper. There was. Uh, OK, so I'll give a personal example, too. A couple of weeks ago, I was like. Um, meditating like after workout and stuff and then like my eyes were closed for a long time and I just started like tripping out and it was so weird like I was looking at the back of my eyelids and then it just became like the aurora borealis and and this was like I don't know 7 15 in the morning mm. you know there, there was light outside and it was just like <laughs> whoa and then I'm like yeah then woke up oh I'm in I'm in you know where the gym thing is and it's like uh, I wanted I want to go back right yeah. so it really borders and it's so cool because if if we think about like how busy everybody are and especially in marriages when we have all these other stresses <laughs> as we learn to tap into that it's almost like how sleep can be regenerative mm-hmm. you know and like we can't function without sleep mm-hmm. we go so long and so far and so hard not having this or not accessing this kind of spiritual meditative state of like 
nothing's coming in, nothing's going mm. out. I'm just here right now. Mm. And how regenerative that can be because mm-hmm. I promise, like when I like opened my eyes from the, you know, seeing the weird Aurora Borealis thing, I was like, I want to go back. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> yeah. get in my car and like fight traffic yeah. and stuff. I really want to go back, right? Um, but to go to your uh, initial point about how difficult it is to like just sit there and not think about emails or kids or doing all this other stuff. It really takes as much self-discipline as it would to start a workout routine Mm -hmm. or start a project at work and finish it until completion. It's like, and it is so hard. The really, I mean, it it is a discipline, like physical, spiritual, mental, emotional. But you're not sweaty at the end. That matters, (laughs) right? I think it was... Interesting that you were saying you first attended the, what is it, MBSR? Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. Okay, so Mm -hmm. I should have known that. Yeah, No, it's fine, (laughs) and it's an eight-week class. And so you attended that, like, just as a student, right? As a student who was desperate for more peace of mind, which Mm -hmm. I would say your Aurora Borealis experience sounded like peace of mind. Yeah, it definitely did. Right. Yeah. And so I like the idea that that class that you took ended up influencing your work heavily moving forward. Oh, in a very powerful way. Um, So as the class continued, uh, I started noticing that I was feeling better, right? I was um, noticing how how I was showing up in really fleeting, simple little ways. Um, So I often talk about it as being a participant observer of your life. Mm. And I would just throughout the day notice how I would be interacting with somebody, mm-hmm. a student or a colleague or a family member. And of course, the class is really designed to cultivate that kind of home practice mm-hmm. where we're paying attention more often. And so being a good student, I did my homework and I really started to notice something was happening. Um, and it and the meditation piece was difficult. Uh, and it was definitely a part of my self-care practice, but it became more about a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And it was more paying attention in a bigger way, if you will. And the time, the quiet time is really what appealed to me. Mm-hmm. So the homework of to sit, to sit, to kind of carve out this space is what really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so I started noticing other things in my life and remembering when I actually had more peace of mind when I was in a better place. Mm -hmm. And an old book that I'd read for years and years came back to me in a a thought that I could actually listen because it's meditation isn't about stopping the thoughts. It's about noticing the thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's not even about slowing them down. They often slow down as we notice them, but that's not why we do it. So I just started becoming more aware of the metacognition, the thinking about my thinking, Mm -hmm. right? as I continued to practice, and I would be able to notice or pay attention to um, these inner callings, if you will, that would that had been showing up for a long time, but I wasn't paying attention because I was moving too fast. Yeah. So the half-hour practice of spending time alone is really um, what served me well. Mm-hmm. And not too long after that, um, things in life got really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And so I was really blessed to have started on the path when life was hard and challenging. And as John Kabat-Zinn writes about, the full catastrophe was already showing up. Mm. But I really wasn't as aware of how big the catastrophe was going to get. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
So when it really did, my life really did start to fall apart, I already had a practice in place Mm -hmm. that I realized I could lean into Mm -hmm. in an even more disciplined and profound way. So um, I soon came to know that I would teach Mm-hmm. meditation for to other folks. As a teacher, by nature, I'm a teacher. Um, whenever we discover something that is really wonderful, we want to share it with others. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of us do. And I realized that this had was having such an important and profound healing impact on me. How could I how could I share this? How could I help others find a path similar to this mm-hmm. to pay attention to their own lives? Um, and so I started down that path of becoming a um, uh, a meditation teacher. And I knew for me it would be mindfulness because there are lots of different ways to meditate. But mm-hmm. mindfulness is a way that for some people, Seth, you're right, it becomes a very spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. But for others, it's not about a spiritual um, dimension or spiritual experience at all. Um, so even though it's based on and anchored in Buddhist practice, it's mm-hmm. a very secular practice mm-hmm. of learning how to cultivate present moment awareness by practicing meditation again and again. So we developed that attentional muscle. Yeah. So it became a very key part of the psychotherapy practice mm-hmm. that I do. So I've heard you say this often in different trainings that you've that I've attended that you've done. And it's uh, can you speak to present moment awareness? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was walking down the driveway with my son Um, I'm walking, I'm holding his hand, we're talking, it's a beautiful spring day, but the awareness of his little hand in my hand is coming into the present moment. Like I can feel it, right? There's so much that's happening and the way our brain processes information, we're getting exposed to um, endless, really endless amounts it seems of stimuli And what is it that the mind actually focuses on? So if you think of a colander, and there are a lot, like a cooking colander in the kitchen, and there's all the holes in it, and whatever we're paying attention to is what comes through the little holes at the end, right? So think of a colander where it's the holes get smaller and smaller and smaller, and then there's one, right? So the mind is fixated. It's paying attention to this moment, and it's paying attention to certain stimuli of this moment. The awareness of what I'm thinking could be present moment awareness. The awareness of what I'm feeling. So in that case, the avenue into present moment awareness for me was through the sensation of Billy's hand in my hand. From that point, I then went right into thoughts, right? Which is after I'm noticing how soft his little hand is and I'm looking at him and kind of taking in his whole being, if you will, I I went right into thinking, which was, how is it that I haven't noticed his sweet little hand, the preciousness of his hand, until this moment? Which then led to emotions and this deep sadness, right, that it was a mix of emotions, the joy of his hand, which quickly morphed into deep sadness around, where have I been? Where have I been? So when we come into present moment awareness, there's really four different avenues. Um, and we tend to have one avenue that we we tend to use more than another. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are four different entryways in, if you will. 
So thinking is often one of them. What's in your thought bubble? The other is emotions, So, which is, I find, more difficult for folks because we've done such a great job of cultivating um, numbness mm. in order to live our lives that are often filled with pain and suffering that we don't want to know what we're actually feeling. But emotions can be a very powerful way into present moment awareness. There's the sensations, the physical sensations. And for me, in this case, it was Billy's hand that invited me in. And then there's behaviors as well. Mm -hmm. So I can, um, in class one night, I had a young man um, that one of the questions that we, we often start with is, how is mindfulness showing up in your life? And he shared that he had just come to recognize that one of his behaviors um, into present moment awareness was nail biting. Mm -hmm. And he never realized that it could be such a powerful way for him to learn about himself. He'd, he'd been a nail biter for many, many years. But he realized what he'd been learning was that when he was biting his nails, he'd learned how to go now with his mindfulness practice into his thoughts. As soon as I notice I'm biting my nails, well, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? Right. Where is the and so it was for him, it was nervous energy. And he's mm. really we're working on um, one of the ways his suffering is showing up is generalized anxiety disorder. Mm. And so when he ever he bites his nails now, he's able to drop into his thoughts, which help him understand that the anxiety is really fear that's showing up mm. that manifests as the nail biting. And he can bring some tenderness to himself and recognize that he's actually really suffering. Mm. So the nail biting becomes the gateway, if you will, to changing that behavior yeah. mm. that has gone unnoticed. I think he's 26 or 27 all these years. Mm. So that really present moment awareness is the invitation to finding a new path. Mm. It's the awareness of what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling in this very moment, mm -hmm. as opposed to two weeks later. Yeah. Right or even a day later, mm -hmm. or even five minutes later. It's the awareness of what I'm doing right now, what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing in this moment, which is the moment that I have the power and freedom to choose a different path. Mm -hmm. One of the exercises that you did in the workshop, which I was telling Seth about that I thought was so powerful, was when you had us write on the piece of paper, Mm. Um, like a thing that was, I can't remember how, what you worded it as. Oh, but, an attribute of your essential self? Well, it, no, it was the thing where you write down something that has been on your mind. Oh, you want to let go of it. Yeah. Oh, and, the letting go. Yeah. And it was like something that when you first ask the question, I'm like, oh, I can't think of anything. I'm going to, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But, and so then I remember thinking, well, okay, what's the first thing that pops into my head? I'm just going to write this down, even though it's probably not that important. And so I wrote down, because I have a lot of anxiety around our uh, middle son, because mm. it's like, he exhibits some behaviors that just, I just don't know how to handle them. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote his name down and immediately was like, I'm going to cry. Like I, I mean, oh, the, you had an emotional oh, experience huge, as soon as yeah. the word showed up. I didn't have to, I mean, I didn't oh. share his name with the group. I didn't do any of these things, but it was this, uh, and to me, that was like a That's present, present moment, moment awareness. awareness. Yeah. Where I like wrote down this thought that had been kind of just rolling around in the back of my head and, and it's and, there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was taking a lot of emotional energy to, and, but I was totally unaware yes. that it was doing that and taking that sort of emotional toll and yeah. just writing it down on that piece of paper was like, I can breathe again. And yes. I'm like, 
Yes. I was just shocked. Well, so the letting go exercise is um, I invite folks to um, show up in the room more more fully, mm-hmm. if you will, because when we are, even though even though we're sitting here, the three of us are sitting here right now, um, paying attention. Mm-hmm. We appear to be paying attention, mm-hmm. right? There, There's things that are going on in our body and the inner landscape that we aren't even aware of mm-hmm. because we have, are attending to each other, right? So we're letting go of other information. Mm-hmm. So in the case of, a, of the workshop, it was an invitation for folks to be more fully present in the room mm-hmm. because even though it's just like any class, right? When I used to lecture, we, we all knew that about 10% of what we talked about really was going to get in. Mm-hmm. I mean, a very small amount was going to get in, it probably, hopefully more than 10%, but but very little of it, of what we were talking about, was going to register with students because they were so preoccupied. They were asleep. Mm-hmm. They were hungry. They were worried about a roommate interaction. They were anxious about an exam that was coming up. They didn't like the person who was sitting next to them, right? So their attention was being um, it was being directed in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And so in order to really be fully present or to be more fully present, we need to actually attend to where we're at and what we're doing. So it's this way of helping people hear what's operating in the backdrop, mm-hmm. if you will, by putting it down on paper. Mm-hmm. So what's showing up in the bubble? was What are you thinking about? Are you have concerns about what you did yesterday or what didn't get done or what needs to happen tomorrow was one way. I think another is I said something about um, how are you doing physically? Mm -hmm. Did you get some breakfast this morning? Are you thinking is the coffee done over there? You know, it it was something that was still brewing that morning. Mm -hmm. Is there some physical problem in the room? Um, I could just look around the room and see that a couple of people were physically very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um, that they may not even have been aware of in a very overt way, but yet it was pulling their attention away from what I was talking about. Uh So to have people write it down by taking, I think we spend maybe a minute or two, not very long, just turn into your thoughts, turn into your heart space, turn into the physical aspects, right? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Are you too cold? Like, what do you need to attend to? What need is showing up such that you do you have the power and capacity to meet that need? Mm-hmm. If you do, then meet it. So the need goes away, right? But part of it is just recognizing that what shows up on the paper very often are the concerns that we can do very little, if anything, about mm-hmm. that consume a tremendous amount of our energy because mm-hmm. we're trying to keep it out, keep it out, keep it out. And it's still percolating back there. It's trying to come in. So recognizing that I am actively letting go of it for the day because mm-hmm. we were going to spend the entire the next five hours there. Yeah. So all of these worries, all of these things that were mostly thoughts about the past or, or concerns about the future, mm-hmm. neither of which I can do anything about mm-hmm. being in this room right now, can I actively let it go, mm-hmm. honor that it's here, but actively let it go such that I can be more fully present. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, maybe more in response to what I think you're getting at mm-hmm. is how do I know when I'm having a flare-up? Mm-hmm. How do I know when I'm having a, what we would call an MBSR stress reaction? Mm-hmm. Right. So one of the things that we teach in the class is the STOP method. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the STOP method, and you can just you can practice it any time of the day when you're driving around and you see a stop sign, 
you can actually envision the STOP method. Mm -hmm. STOP stands for S's stop what you're actually doing. Take a breath, observe the inner landscape, and then proceed more mindfully. Mm -hmm. So it's a really simple, never easy, but a very simple informal practice that we can use to cultivate present moment awareness. Mm -hmm. How do I know? Well, I come to learn what my signs are when I'm activated, right? Mm -hmm. And very often they're physiological. I notice when my heart is racing. I notice when I'm having trouble breathing. I notice when my palms are sweaty. Mm -hmm. uh, I might notice when I'm really getting angry with somebody. Um, another young man talked about he, he was recognizing that his stress reaction came every time he even got in the car. Mm. And he got angry and defensive and it was like he was going to battle. Mm. It would and and he would therefore have a very unpleasant commute home mm -hmm. day after day after day. But he didn't know that until he started paying attention to, oh, I'm getting tight. My shoulders are tight. My hands are clenched around the the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. So I'm having a stress reaction. Well, as so for him, right, the physiological awareness that showed up first and then invites us and, well, what are you thinking? Well, that jerk's going to cut me off. Is this this commute's going to be like every commute. I'm going to get home 20 minutes late. I can't stand this. Mm -hmm. right? All the negative thinking, well, what are the feelings that are that are emerging as a result of it? Well, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. These are all idiots, right? We go back to the mm -hmm. thoughts then. So how can we bring mindfulness is by simply recognizing that I'm having a, a stress reaction coming in from whatever of those four ways that I can into the awareness, mm -hmm. I can turn my attention to my breath, which sounds really um, like so straightforward and so easy. Why really? That's all you've got to offer. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yes, that's all I've got to offer. Yeah. And it is anything but easy. But we can recognize, when we can recognize we're having a stress reaction or a flare up, I can simply take a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. And as I take these deep breaths, bring my attention to the sensations that are showing up as a result of the breath. Coming into the body. <sighs> leaving the body. How does that actually feel? I can feel it in my belly. I can feel my rib cage coming and going. I mean, when we can spend a little bit of time, even a minute, actually noticing the sensations, what I've done is I've brought myself into present moment awareness more fully. I've let go of the what ifing, the thinking about the future. I've let go of thinking about the past. And like every time I drive home, this is just such a nightmare. It's going to happen again. We've got this angst that we're creating. I actually am cultivating peace of mind in this very moment by drawing attention to my breath again and again. Which is really the only moment I can control anyway, is this moment. Over time, that's actually cultivating peace of mind. Not to mention that it's reducing the cortisol that's starting to surge through the body and the norepinephrine and epinephrine. It is, it's activating what we're, we've learned is the parasympathetic nervous system in the body, which is the parachute. It actually brings the body back down to center, if you will, and center back to homeostasis, back to this place of peace and well-being is what serves us well. Not the inadvertent chronic stress reaction that more and more of us seem to live in 
on a moment-by-moment daily basis and don't even know that's what we're doing until uh, irritable bowel syndrome shows up or Crohn's disease shows up or major depressive disorder shows up or, or generalized anxiety disorder. It's like we inadvertently cultivate these conditions that show up very, very often in midlife, right? Because the body's ability to navigate its way and really mm, deal with that chronic stress reaction, that, that capacity, that margin for error gets smaller as the body ages, which is why we see more chronic conditions midlife. So that often is what brings folks into MBSR, mm-hmm. is some kind of a, a psychological or emotional or a physical condition that has caught their attention finally. Mm-hmm. Because... Um... If we let these things go, it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the body. It takes a toll on the body physically. So by the time mm-hmm. the body is physically speaking to us, it's been going on. The The degradation of the physical body has mm-hmm. been going on for quite a while. Yeah. What I like about this so much is it's the, it's the very simple practice of being intentional, right? Mm. With just stopping and taking a breath. Yeah. And I can't honestly think of anything so... Well, it is the most important thing, air. Mm-hmm. We need air, right? So so anchoring on to something as vital as air, it's like we all breathe. All we have to do is remind ourselves to go, let me think about my breathing for just like five seconds. Okay. And then, you know, five intentional breaths. I notice you breathing through your nose and mm. exhaling through your mouth. That slows everything down. It does. Like just everything. So taking something intentional and being... Our, our, our understanding that's like all this stress, all this craziness, not paying attention to it is just not sustainable. So, Mm-mm. And the breath is on board 24-7. Mm-hmm. You know, it knows what to do. It knows its way home. It knows how to bring us back mm-hmm. to center. So we can learn to develop a trust, if you will, in our breath to guide us inward. Mm-hmm. The breath brings us what we need and lets go of what we don't need. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, really brings cool. Brings us back home. Just that. That. Mm. Just that statement brings us back home. Like, brings us back it, to center. Yeah, yeah we absolutely. always want to be home, whatever that is. Right. You know, it's not a place, really. Um, but that's yeah. part of what we did in the workshop too: is explore what is peace of mind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how do we find our way to peace of mind? And the breath can play a really powerful and important role in that. And for other folks, um, they find really focusing on or anchoring on the breath to be very anxiety provoking. Mm. So it doesn't have to be the breath. Mm -hmm. It's that we often suggest the breath because you don't have to remember to take it with you Mm -hmm. like you do a stone, right? Mm -hmm. But I can just as easily cultivate present moment awareness through my body, through Mm -hmm. the rest of my body by guiding attention perhaps to my feet and really noticing each one of my little toes now making contact with my shoe, mm-hmm. feeling my nylon wrapped around my foot, noticing there's some moisture between my toes. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of, well, they're, they're kind of chilly now that I notice it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be the breath. Um, but for a lot of folks, it seems to be a readily easy way to do, or easier way. And it's this sinking motion, mm-hmm. right? The breath comes into the body, moves down deep into the body, and so it's this sinking kind of turning attention inward that can serve us so well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, actually, you said two things that I really loved. Um, 
One, you said this in the workshop where you talked about when we look into the future, it's anxiety. And when mm. we look to the past, it's depression. Mm. We're and, cultivating both of those. Yes. Yeah. And I love that. Well, I mean, that sounds weird to say I love that idea, but mm. that was really helpful to me to see mm. in a sense we're we're like building a cage around ourselves when we think that thinking of the future is going to be helpful or, right. you know, rolling over what was bad that happened in the past. And because we only do have this moment and we can focus on our breath and essentially break that cage away from ourselves because that's Absolutely. kind of the imagery that came to my mind when you mm. talked about those concepts and I had never heard that idea of cultivating anxiety mm. or cultivating depression and really when you're living in the future I mean I do it all the time when we whenever we're I go we're really to fly, encouraged to yeah we're in this society right mm. and in most societies now we are we're rewarded for planning ahead. Wow, that's true. <laughs> right? For being aggressive and being methodical and mm -hmm. for having, you know, a plan of action. Yeah. And, and if we work hard and we work as much as we do, you have to plan ahead mm -hmm. to squeeze it all in and mm -hmm. make sure you're doing everything, right? So we are inadvertently cultivating anxiety hmm. without even awaring it, aware huge. of it, because we aren't even aware of what our thoughts are. Yeah. So it's happening all the while. But it's, it's, for some folks, it's not until they have their first panic attack that they realize they're even anxious. Mm -hmm. They can have a panic attack and not, and really have no awareness of how that, how it happened. Mm -hmm. And so panic attacks are like the, mm, I guess the body's like almost last resort for getting your attention. Oh, wow. You see what I yeah. mean? So we, it's like, come on, now you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I have to pay attention because the suffering is so intense. Now I don't, I'm afraid about where I'm going to go, if I'm going to have another panic attack. So my life revolves mm -hmm. more and more around avoiding it. So we learn to live our lives very much in a cage, mm. you see. Yeah. By, but we don't we don't understand the role that we're playing in it mm -hmm. our own selves and it's not about blaming ourselves because we are always doing the best we can mm -hmm. we are always doing the best we can it is that often the best that we know how to do isn't serving us well mm. as another person in class said it, I think it was the end of the eight weeks and we go around the room and ask well you know what is it that you're leaving with at the end of this particular journey? And uh, she said, I, I've learned that so many of the things that I've done for so many years to quote unquote, take care of myself or get through it just mm -hmm. to keep living um, are things that really do not serve me well. Mm -hmm. They work in the moment, mm -hmm. but they come at a very, very high price mm -hmm. to my health and overall well-being. Wow. There's too many things that I want to like say about that. <laughs> uh, another thing that you said too, though, that you asked is what is peace of mind? Mm -hmm. And you asked that in the workshop and- um, I remember just sitting there thinking, I had never thought <laughs> about what that would be. What does that even look like? What is... What's it feel like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because I can, I can imagine it. I really can like imagine peace of mind to me is just knowing that my whole family is safe. That's really about it. I don't care about mm. much else, but knowing that, you know, my parents are safe and healthy. Our kids are safe and healthy. You're safe and healthy. Um, but that's interesting just to even have that type of question that's so simple mm -hmm. and how it kind of reframes what you do day to day. Absolutely. What, what are, you know, is peace of mind a thing you could actually achieve if you just slow down? <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, you know like, that we, when we 
take the time to really think about what we long for. Mm -hmm. And for most of us, we long for peace of mind, Mm -hmm. right? Which often sounds like less stress, less things to do, right? Needing less money or or making more money. So I have less stress or whatever it is. But when we actually think about the embodiment of peace of mind Mm -hmm. and come to know what that feels like, and we do have a sense of it because most of us have had that experience in our childhood. Mm. So we go way back mm. and we, maybe not even a vivid memory, but but um, the one gentleman in the workshop mm-hmm. was um, one of a handful of people, all the times that I've done this particular exercise that he shared, he honestly could not fathom what mm. peace of mind was like. Mm. So that's a real exception, mm-hmm. and it speaks volumes about pain and suffering. Um, and then it's a process of finding peace of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Developing an awareness of when we're actually experiencing it. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to say is when we recognize that I actually can cultivate this too, mm-hmm. I then have the power, the freedom, and the responsibility to start living my life in alignment with my values Mm -hmm. such that I can cultivate peace of mind, Mm -hmm. which more often than not does mean slowing down. Yeah. So it's, it's really ironic when I talk about self-care often folks will say, Oh my God, it's something more I've got to do is now practice Mm self-care. And the irony is it actually is about doing far less Mm -hmm. than we expect ourselves to do Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah. It's funny. One of the things I wanted to say it in the class, but it didn't, wouldn't have applied, but it's, it always kind of makes me laugh that it probably a few years ago, I kind of like a light bulb went off with, uh, with Seth in particular, where he would want to like sit and watch TV and watch, you know, I don't know, some show I didn't want to watch. And and it's not that I cared about what the show was, but there was this moment where it was like, I need to just have this, honestly, I need to just watch The Great British Baking Show <laughs> and think yeah. about how lovely food is to make and listen to their fun accents and see the pretty pastels in their tent. Yeah. And I need, I just, that's like a, a place of calm for me mm. that... Probably a bunch of my friends don't really understand, like, why aren't you watching Game of Thrones or whatever? (laughs) I'm like, you know, those just don't, honestly, they don't. That's not what I need. No, it isn't what I need. (laughs) And and so it's funny because in a way that to me is self-care. It is Mm. my self-care is watching the Great British Baking Show, snuggling (laughs) with my children and talking about what they're baking and Mm. whatever that is. Um, And so I think it's funny because it doesn't look the same for everybody. It's a unique self-care practice or Mm -hmm. plan, if you will, for every human being Mm -hmm. because we're all different. So there's common elements, Mm -hmm. you know, and the idea that we have six areas in our life that really need equitable attention. Mm -hmm. And very often, that's not how we're spending our life energy. We're Mm -hmm. focusing on one or two areas at the expense of the others. But every single person can find people, places, and things that are going to be different to help them find their center, if Mm -hmm. you will, which is really coming home to their true self. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it takes a bit of well, obviously, awareness, you got to figure out what, what it is. It takes field research. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. But I think it also... It is. You're t- the researcher yeah. of your own life. Yeah. And it, I feel like it, t- it takes bravery because there's so much um, in our culture that says, 
especially for women, well, it's probably gender. This is probably the same through all the genders that relaxing looks like getting your nails done, having mm-hmm. cocktails and shopping, which to me just sounds like the last thing on the planet Absolutely. I would want to do. <laughs> like I would rather go build something, you know, sew a quilt for a friend and watch the Great British Baking Show with my children. Like that's, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, you're invited too, Seth. You oh, can watch right. it too. <laughs> Only if you make dinner while I watch it. But, uh, <laughs> but, it's, uh, but there is an element of um, – that I a lot of times I meet, especially women, just because my friends are women mostly, but they are almost afraid to step outside of the realm of what they know and mm. what's popular in social media or in our culture. Oh, relaxing looks like this or going out to a fancy restaurant or whatever. Mm. And that those are all great things. But um, being brave enough to say like, no, relaxing for me means reading in the bathtub uh, with a bubble bath or it means gardening mm. or it means um, a really long walk totally by myself no kids no friends no whatever mm. this applies to for something like yoga when i first started doing yoga there was a social construct around it you needed these fancy yoga pants you needed this fancy yoga mat and i'm like these yoga pants are like a hundred dollars and i have stretchy <laughs> pants that I, can i just do yoga in those and there was this, this sort of a transition where i had to kind of break away from what society said yoga looked like what society said it sounded like and had you know scented things like i could just do yoga in my bedroom Mm -hmm. and i didn't even need a mat like there's (laughs) that's okay and so i don't know i think there's something to be said about finding um like you said field research of what what is your version of self-care and it doesn't have to be elaborate or expensive or the social norm you know and it's usually not yeah and it's usually not expensive yeah (laughs) those are two key indicators (laughs) and it often um is hard work so when i am talking about self-care what i'm talking about is coming to know what my body, mind, and soul need to feel cared for. And that does not show up in the way of um, shopping, right? Or it typically doesn't even show up in the way of being with a lot of other people. But it is learning how to turn attention inward, to really look at, to notice how I'm showing up on a daily basis in my life. And is it consistent with who I'm here to be? Do I really like how I'm showing up? Do I feel good about how I'm interacting with other human beings? Do I feel that the way I'm spending my life energy is in alignment with this peace of mind that I'm trying to cultivate, right? So um, that's what I'm talking about. It's it, Self-care is not a bubble bath. It might be a bubble bath, um, but it often isn't. <laughs> so it's not, it, there's this notion often that um, it's about distracting ourselves by making ourselves feel better. But that's not even what I'm talking about. It's really tending to what is bubbling up in my heart space very often that needs some tender, loving care, which more often and a bubble bath, for me anyway, is a very heartfelt conversation with a very dear friend who I know will listen to just bear witness to probably something really painful that I'm experiencing. That's very healing. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. 
I thought of this analogy. If it's a, an object that we like, right? Like, oh, we have a really great house. We have a ton of great memories there. And we like the house. We want to stay there for at least the next 10, 20, 30 years, raise our kids, do all this stuff, right? Well, houses get dirty mm. just because we use them, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to clean themselves. They don't re-roof themselves. They don't re-roof or, themselves right. or get their own cedar branches out of the gutter. That's right. So because I like the house, it's going to be hard work to take care of it. Absolutely. But in the end, it is worth it, and I will enjoy the house more, right? That's right. So when you right. say, you know, self-care isn't a bubble bath, that's easy. That's the easiest version, right? Yeah. Oh, and that's like very immediate, right? But long-lasting, sustainable self-care, in my mind at least, and what I'm hearing you saying, mm-hmm. is taking an honest look at yourself, evaluating all you, you know, think to evaluate, and then being disciplined or brave enough or intentional enough to be like, oh, I have to work on this. I'm going to take good care right. of this human right. being. Because this human being's health and well-being is my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And if I learn what I need to do to really take care of myself, I will show up Mm -hmm. in a more rewarding, joyful, loving, uh, peaceful way, Mm -hmm. which will just make me want to take better care of herself even more. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I love sense. I love the house metaphor. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. Yeah. Right. So if I don't take care of it, it will de- it will decompose. Mm-hmm. It will develop problems. It mm-hmm. will break down. It will have a very low resale value. Right. <laughs> yeah. Over time. Yeah. So the more we can think of ourselves as a house, I often use a, a car mm-hmm. <laughs> metaphor or mm-hmm. a garden metaphor, um, but a house is a great metaphor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's. Not necessarily what I would want to be doing, but it's more what do I need to be doing Mm -hmm. to really bring out the essence of this beautiful home. Mm -hmm. And the more that we do it, we become increasingly well-versed. Yes. It gets easier. That's right. And then it's like, hey, this is just part of my routine. That's right. Just like working out or taking a walk or checking in with a friend once a week. That's just what we do. That's right. You know, I'm even thinking of our like cleaning schedule with our kids, like, we try, you may disagree with this, Mel, but I try to clean and, you know, keep tidy as much as I can on just a, a routine, whatever. <laughs> I'm just thinking you're like, oh, you're rolling your eyes. <laughs> I know, I'm just messing with you. I know, I'm just messing. But um, just incorporating that and, and teaching our kids that too. So it's like, this is just part of what we do. Yeah. In that house analogy or metaphor, the it stuck out to me i always think this is funny because i'm the one who cleans the gutters and i always have said that the, <laughs> the gutters of a house are like a diaper <laughs> like you have to clean them all the time and they get stinky and gross but the thing that sort of stuck out is that is okay you said you become well-versed the more you learn and maintain your home and you know you know the floor needs mopping on this day or we need to rake the leaves on this day and the other thing i think then this might apply directly to our lives is that because we're in this together and it's our shared home and our children are also there, you become more well-versed in what I would need. And so do our children if we're practicing it. Mm. If we're not, mm-hmm. they don't know. That's right. And you don't know. And you don't know why I'm going to like freaking out and all stressed out about whatever because mm-hmm. I haven't ex- been saying to you I really need, you know, X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. self-care. I've just been kind of plowing through everything. And so there's an element of 
teaching one another and being supportive yeah, of each supportive. other. Yeah, because yes. we are inadvertently teaching our children mm-hmm. to disregard what they really need when we are not practicing self-care of our own well-being. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as um, bedtime, mm-hmm. how much sleep are we allowing ourselves to have, mm-hmm. and are we modeling that for our children? Right? Are we helping them understand about the food, mm-hmm. the fuel they put in their body, and the food I put in my body? Mm-hmm. So we learn what we live, and we learn we live what we learn, mm-hmm. and we are it. You know, and when I was doing my doctorate, we talked a lot about it. I will never forget this: the null curriculum, which is really everything we learn that we've not been explicitly taught, mm-hmm. and it's really powerful yeah. because it's operating in the backdrop, if you will, and it usually is how I'm living my life mm-hmm. that is not in alignment with what works well for me, because what works well for my body, my health, and my well-being is not supported by traditional lifestyle in in Western culture. Yeah. So yeah. if I am paying attention to what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. um, I am not probably going to be practicing very good self-care. Mm. So it does come back to what we've talked about, this courage and the bravery. And it's it's not being affirmed or rewarded by any external anything. It, yeah. it comes at a real price mm-hmm. to take good care of oneself. It's not narcissism and it's not selfish, but it is the most powerful way we have to change the world Mm. is by changing ourselves Mm. from the inside out because every person we interact with, we create an experience with. Mm -hmm. And this reverberates around the whole world. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So it's not about new policies. It's not about a new president. It's not about a new social service system or... Uh, it's not about any of that. Mm-hmm. It, the most powerful way to change the world is turning attention inward to one's own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. When we support that, we cultivate the emergence of the true self, mm. the essential self. And how would it be if we, if our children grew up knowing what their bodies really needed, mm-hmm. right, in mm-hmm. the way of sleep, mm-hmm. in the way of water, in the way of social relationships and the way of integrity and honesty and just the I mean it would be a very different oh, yeah. way of living life mm-hmm. so we are as a parent right we have an extra layer if you will of responsibility for recognizing the importance of modeling and talking with our children about the importance of taking really good care of themselves mm-hmm. because by the time they're 13 right our ability to um, guide them just diminishes significantly each year mm-hmm. after that. So by then, it's really this recognizing what they're doing and, and honoring and supporting them in doing it. Mm-hmm. But we're laying that foundation much earlier on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is a lady Buddha called? Can I call you whatever lady Buddha is? Because you're like the, a Zen master. No, no, no. Do you no, glow no. when no one's looking? <laughs> you leave a trail of glitter. Like... No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's um, it's a it's a really different path. It's mm-hmm. a really different path, and the expectation that it will be easy is a setup. It's not that it ever gets easy, but it becomes less difficult, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. our desire <laughs> is to seek pleasure and avoid pain, mm-hmm. and the mindful way is very different. It's learning how to be present even with the pain, mm-hmm. but not to encourage the suffering, which is the resistance of pain. Mm-hmm. We learn how to move through it. We learn how to accept it and honor it because it's part of being human. 
and we are all human, so. And a gong should ring somewhere. That was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Dr. Brenda Butterfield brilliant and completely inspiring? The hidden stress that we carry in our lives has a huge impact on our relationships, and we wanted to share her amazing thoughts and techniques with you so that you can begin to implement this positive self-care into your life and your relationships. Okay, before we go, I just want to take a minute to say like a thousand thank yous to the AOM team. So here is my shout out in no particular order. Thank you, Rhea. Thank you, Kenan, Tierney, William, Sammy, Elizabeth, and Justin. Y'all, these freaking amazing humans have made such a huge impact in our life and in turn on the podcast. So please reach out to them on our Facebook page and just say thank you for all of their hard work. And if you love what we're doing, please consider becoming a financial supporter by heading to patreon.com forward slash anatomy of marriage. And if you can't do that, do us a huge favor and rate and review the show on iTunes. That means so much to us and helps spread the AOM word. All right. Have an amazing day and we will catch you later. Bye.